We're helping us kick off these eight days of mission emphasis is the strategy leader for Europe peoples. And I think I got that close to right. His name is Jacob Boss. He comes to us from London. He's not a fill-in because you're thinking, I thought Paul Chitwood was speaking today. That's what the worship bulletin says, and we've been talking about that. Well, yesterday morning, uh, Paul texted and said, hey, the airline situation and all those things involved in that, uh, I'm not making it to Des Moines. But uh, Jacob and a friend of his named Joseph were here for IMB with some other things. And so he said, but Jacob, I think, could fill in. And so Jacob rearranged his travel and graciously offered to kind of fill in for Paul. But we know that no accidents ever occur, that God intends and ordains all things. And so it is on purpose that Jacob is with us this morning. Amen, church? And so help me welcome to speak for us this morning on opening of Go Week, Jacob Boss. Amen. Thanks, Jacob. Bless us, Jacob. Yeah, thank you. Man, it is awesome to be here and to see the church being the church, to see people from faith family that are being sent to the nations, and what a joy that is uh, to my heart. Um, It is so good to be here with you. I know Dr. Chitwood uh, does wish he could be here, um, but as the Lord would have it, he got stuck on the tarmac and, uh, and couldn't be here. But on behalf of the International Mission Board, I do want to say thank you all, uh, for all of the support that you provide for us, uh, not just financially, but I know that, that there's prayers and there is a whole lot that goes behind that. And so just on behalf of the International Mission Board, thank you uh, so, so much. And it's been a joy to get to know Pastor Todd the last couple days and his heart, uh, his heart for you all, his heart for this place, but also his heart for the nations. You guys have a great pastor and uh, excited to see what God's going to continue to do here in this place. Just hearing a little bit of what God has already done is, is really exciting. Uh, and then also, I want to say hello from the Haney's. Some of you guys probably know the Haney's uh, who work in Sweden, and I get to serve alongside of them, and they are doing great. They are seeing God do some really cool stuff uh, in Sweden and seeing Swedes saved, and that is uh, the power of the gospel at work that while Europe has been a a dry dead zone for a long time, we're seeing a new fruit emerge, and we're really, really excited about that. All right, so this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. While you're turning to John chapter 4, I want to uh, share a little bit more about myself and my family. Uh, So I am Jacob Boss, and my wife Elizabeth and I, we have four children. Uh, Sky is 15, and Andrew is 11, Philip is 8, and Sadie is 5. And so we're like in the throes of chaos uh, in our house. We, we did serve in India for 10 years. Uh, I was, uh, they, they asked me not to come back to their country. Uh, and so we ended up in, in London. So we've been in London now for about five years and been leading the work for across Europe for the International Mission Board for about the last two and a half years. So my youngest daughter, Sadie, she was uh, about eight months old when we, she was born in India. She's about eight months when we moved to London. So she is full on British. And so when we do come back to America, they're actually in London uh, today. But when we come back to America, it's really, really funny to watch her interact with Americans when she comes up and says, Daddy, can I have some water, please? And the American is like, what is happening? Uh, and then my other three are from, are born in India. And so they're, they're very Indian, and uh, 
So they think Indiana? No, India. India. All right. So my kids are thoroughly confused and not exactly sure where they belong. All right. Uh, John chapter 4. Um, we're going to look at this story this morning, and I think we're going to see Jesus' heart and how we can participate in Jesus' heart. We're going to look at this in two different parts. So we're going to look at the first part where Jesus interacts with the Samaritan woman. And then we're going to see as the Samaritan woman gets living water, she now becomes a distributor of living water. And so we're going to see these two, uh, two pieces emerge. So we're going to start in John chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 26, where we, where we see the heart of Jesus on display. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and actually is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So we see this amazing interaction that Jesus has with this Samaritan woman. Jesus is very tired from his journey. Uh, he sits down at this well. His disciples go to the next town to find some food. As he's sitting there, the Samaritan woman comes, and Jesus has this amazing interaction with her. So the first question we have to ask is, who was this woman? Who was this Samaritan woman? So we're going to look at this through two different lenses. We're going to look at this through the, the lens of the world, how the world would have viewed her, and through the eyes of Jesus, how, how Jesus viewed her. So the first thing we see in the eyes of the world is that she is a Samaritan. Now, Samaritans were a people that were looked down upon. 
Even in the text, we can see that she's surprised that Jesus is interacting with her because the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. The Samaritans were a lowly people, and the Jews, they didn't see any reason to have uh, interaction with them. When my wife and I were in India, uh, India has a, its major religion is Hinduism, and in Hinduism, there's four different castes. And in those castes, you have the highest caste, which is called the Brahmin caste, and they are the rulers and the leaders, they're the powerful people. And then on the bottom, you have the Dalits, or another word for them is untouchables. And literally, if, if any of the top three castes were to touch an untouchable, they, were to, they would be dirty. And so they don't touch the untouchables. Actually, if, if a Dalit or an untouchable was riding his bike and there was a Brahmin house, he would have to get off his bike, take off the shoes, walk his bike, put his shoes back on, and then get back on his bike. So my wife and I literally watched this play out in India over and over and over again. The Brahmins, the untouchables, they felt worthless. They felt like they, felt like they had no worth, but they had to do their duty. They had to do their duty so that in the next life, they might be able to come back in a little bit higher caste. And this is the life that they lived. So in, in a similar way, Jews did not interact with Samaritans like this. Yet, here we see Jesus interacting as a Jewish man with a Samaritan, a lowly person that he is not in his normal culture supposed to deal with. So in the eyes of the world, they would see this woman as a Samaritan. Through the eyes of the world, they would also see this woman as a broken and shamed sinner. Now we see in the story that she had five husbands, and the man that she was currently with was actually not her husband. We don't fully know what happened to the five husbands. We don't know the full story there, but we know that she had five husbands. The man she's currently with was not her husband. We also know that most likely she would have been some kind of an outcast in her village or amongst her people because she was coming to the well in the middle of the day by herself. Normally, women would have come together either in the morning or in the early evening when it was cooler, and she was coming by herself in the heat of the day. So most likely, she had been, had been shamed and was some kind of an outcast in her own uh, culture, in her own village amongst her own people. So in the eyes of the world, she was a Samaritan, a lowly person to the Jews, and she was a broken, shamed sinner. This uh, reminds me of, of a time in Mumbai uh, when we served there and and my wife and, and our team was doing some work amongst the red light district. It's one of the largest red light districts of the world. I learned a lot about these ladies and even the guys that uh, do terrible things. Uh, these, these ladies, uh, I thought as soon as we said, hey, come, come out of that, that they would say, yes, thank you for coming and rescuing us. But that's not what they said. They felt trapped by their shame. They literally felt worthless. And it was so amazing to watch them as they learned about Jesus and they themselves, like this Samaritan woman, drank from the well of eternal life and realized, wait a second, I do have worth. Actually, the Son of God came to the earth and died for me. He's taken my sin. He's borne my shame on the cross. To watch as these ladies went from worthless to worthy. Because, and only because, of Jesus. So that is how this woman would have been viewed through the eyes of the world. A Samaritan, lowly, and ashamed sinner. Yet, who was this woman in the eyes of Jesus? In the eyes of Jesus, she was thirsty for more than physical water. 
he was able to see that she was searching for something more than just something that would satisfy her temporarily, but she was looking for something that would satisfy her eternally. So what did he do? Jesus gave her a drink of eternal living water. Also, through the eyes of Jesus, this woman was known. She was known. She didn't know she was known. Jesus asked her, and she said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, go get your husband. Bring him here. I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you rightly say you don't have a husband. Actually, you've had five husbands. The man you're with now isn't your husband. She's like, are you a prophet? This woman was known. Even in the mire and dirtiness and filth, Jesus knew her. But it was also a place of safety that he knew her. It's amazing how often I tried to hide my sin from Jesus. But guess what? We're known. But not only are we known, but we're loved. And through the blood of Jesus on the cross, we're saved. Jesus has removed the sin and taken it on himself. So this woman in the eyes of Jesus was known, yet safe in his love. This woman also in the eyes of Jesus was worthy of the gift of living water that springs up to eternal life. She was worthy because she was created by her creator. She was created by God. And God loves and finds worth so much in all of us that he sent Jesus to die for our sins. Not only did he die on the cross for our sins, but he also took the very wrath of God for us. That's how much he, he loves you. That's how much he, he values you. As I have, have spent time in many different parts of the world, I find frequently that there are a lot of Samaritan women in the world today. Now, they don't all look like the Samaritan women, the Samaritan woman, where they've had one husband or five husbands, the man they're with now isn't their husband. They don't, they don't all look like that. Some of them do. Some of them are lowly and outcasts in society. The refugees that are coming into to Greece and then moving from Greece throughout Europe would be, would be amongst those people who are lowly and they feel worthless. They would be outcasts in society. Yet most are just normal people. Most are normal people who are looking for a drink that satisfies. And they're taking a drink of wealth, they're taking a drink of fame. They're taking a drink of, I'm just going to try to be good. And people all over the world are, are looking for that drink, for that liquid that will satisfy. The truth is, there's only one drink that will satisfy, and it's Jesus Christ. But today, as we sit here, there are literally billions of people around the world who don't even know the name of Jesus. There are billions of people around the world today that don't even know that there is a drink that they can drink from that will not just satisfy temporarily, but will give them eternal satisfaction. In India, I frequently ran across people who I would ask them if they knew who Jesus was. And this one young man comes to mind who said, what is a Jesus? Billions in the world that have, that have never even heard the name of Jesus. In London, we've been there for the last five years, more and more young Brits don't know who Jesus is. They might have heard his name, but there's several generations removed even from churchianity that they don't, 
They don't even know who Jesus is or what he has done for them. Around the world, there are people that are literally quenched for thirst, and Jesus needs to be introduced to them. And maybe today in this room, there are some who God is calling out to take living water to the nations. I believe it. As I was sitting here worshiping earlier, just in hearing the the heart of of Todd and and knowing what, what is on your hearts, that there has to be somebody today sitting here that God is burdening their heart for somewhere in the world to take the living water. And can I tell you, as someone who's done this now for 15 years, it's really, really hard. You make a whole lot of sacrifices. But to see people take a drink of living water, there's nothing like it. Nothing like it. And my heart is that each one here can experience that at some level, whether that's here in Iowa or somewhere to the ends of the earth. So now, we, now we're going to transition. So we see Jesus giving a living water to the Samaritan woman. And now we're going to transition in the story. The disciples come back, as we see here in, in John 4.27. The disciples return, and they're marveling that Jesus is speaking with this Samaritan woman. So in verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left the water jar, went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, please eat. We got this food for you. Eat, you're hungry. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So let's, let's look here. The first thing I want us to see really quickly is that Jesus has a work to accomplish. John, John 4, 34. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus has a work to accomplish. What is the work? I think the work is what we just saw Jesus do. Giving living water to the thirsty people of all nations, all tongues, and all tribes. That is the work of Jesus that he has now entrusted to us. He has given us his very spirit, Acts chapter 2. He's given us everything that we need to see his work accomplished in this world through us. So who is the person that God uses? He's entrusted the work to us So what does it take for us to accomplish his work in the nations? As Jesus asked his disciples to raise their eyes and see that 
the harvest is here. Here's what, here's what I think played out based on the text. And it's not super clear, so this is what I think, okay? I think that the Samaritan woman went back into the town. She said, come meet a man who knows everything about me. Come with me. So she turns, and they're following, and they're coming to where Jesus was at the well. At that time, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And his disciples are, uh, are a little bit confused, but Jesus says, the harvest is here now. You think four months from now, but lift up your eyes and look. The harvest is here. And what is coming at the disciples? The Samaritan woman is bringing the village to Jesus. The harvest is here. Who in their right mind would have thought to use a Samaritan, shamed, sinful woman to bring people to Jesus? That's the heart of our Father. That's the heart of Jesus. He uses broken sinners to redeem broken sinners. When I uh, was saved, when I was younger, and then went through school, went to seminary, I got a little bit prideful. And I thought there were extra things that it took to be used by God. And all those things are great, and they're, they're really, really valuable. But they're not necessary to be used by God. The Samaritan woman had what it took to be used by God. She was qualified to take part in God's mission. And it was from her testimony that the village believed in Jesus. So what did she have? She had Jesus. She had been changed by Jesus. It, it really is that simple. Acts 4.13 is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. In Acts 4.13, you have Peter and John, and the Holy Spirit has fallen. Peter has gone out and boldly preached the gospel. They've all heard in their own language. We see 3,000 believe. Now Peter and John are coming to the Sanhedrin. They're coming to these very educated, powerful men, and they're standing before them, and they're not afraid but they're actually speaking boldly. And in Acts 4.13, it says, Peter and John were unlearned and ignorant men. Yet, these educated, powerful people took note. Why? Because they had been with Jesus. Sometimes, we make the bar much higher than the Bible and Jesus actually make it. See, the reality is, Jesus has saved you. You have his spirit. You have him. As you go into your neighborhood, as you go into your workplace, as you go into your school, and you now can give them a taste of the living water. But what's amazing is, in this story, the Samaritan woman knows it's actually not her. Right? She just says, Hey, come, come meet a man that knew everything about me. So really, what's our job? Our job is to say, hey, you need to come, you need to come meet Jesus. 
Our job is, is to bring people to Jesus so they can meet the one who loves them, who died for them, who saves them, who gives them complete value and worth. In India, when we first uh, got there, again, I, I had come just from seminary. Um, and, and again, seminary is great, but my, my paradigm was exploded. There was this illiterate pastor who said, hey, will you come with me to an all-night prayer meeting? And I thought, all-night prayer meeting. Okay, yeah, let's go to an all-night prayer meeting. So we go at 6 o'clock, and I'm thinking, I think an hour, two hours. We start to pray. I'm done in 15 or 20 minutes, just being honest with you guys. And 6 o'clock the next morning, this illiterate pastor and these, these very lowly, very poor people are still crying out to God. Crying out to God. Over the next five years, they would see thousands of churches started. Thousands of churches started. They did not have money. They did not have education. They did not have names that were known. They had everything they needed. They had Jesus. They had Jesus. In London... I met a, a great brother who was in the workforce. In the, he's working in central London. He's an executive at a financial company there. And God saved him radically about four and a half years ago. His wife and they have two girls. Him and his wife were on the, on the verge of getting a divorce. He was into all things that most business people in the city center of London are from uh, being loose with women and drugs, all of that stuff. Jesus radically saved him. He, he had never been to church. He didn't really know who Jesus was. But in his desperation, someone shared the gospel with him, and he got saved. And in his passion, he went back into his workplace and began to share with everybody in his workplace. His boss was like, hey, bro, you're going to need to like calm it down a little bit, or else I don't know that you're going to be able to keep your job. And he said, well, my job's not worth anything anymore. I now have everything, and you need it. You're in the same place I was in. Jesus has taken my life and totally restored it. And he's seen, uh, he's seen people come to faith at YouTube and Google and Facebook. The current leader of the Facebook faith team in Austin, Texas, was saved three years ago in London. A normal Professional, coming out of the mire of sin, immediately activated because of Jesus into his mission. The person God uses is the person that is with Jesus, the person that is becoming more like Jesus, and the people that will simply bring people to Jesus. There is still much work to be done. Globally, there's over a billion people who still have no one focused on reaching them. There are over three billion people that most likely have not heard the name of Jesus. 155,473 people die every day without this eternal water. 80 million people are forcibly displaced worldwide. And that number is only going to grow in the next five years because of some turmoil happening in different parts of the world. There is so much need in this world. Many of us in this room, we have the answer. 
The question is, what will we do? Maybe you're here this morning, and you, you actually identify more with the woman. You don't have deep satisfaction. You're searching. You've been drinking from many cups. Can I encourage you this morning? Jesus loves you. He died for you. He knows you. If you will simply confess to him your sin, receive him as your savior, he will completely satisfy you, and you can be on mission for him. But maybe you're here this morning, and you know people in your life that you need to introduce to Jesus. Maybe you sense the Lord is asking you to join him in his mission somewhere else in the world. It's worth it. The price is high, but it's worth it. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.